welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. I am your host, Grayson Brolty. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to continue the conversation with Frank Menchaca, Chief Growth Officer, SAE International. On today's episode, Frank and I continue the SAE Office of Sustainable Energy conversation and the needs around payments, cybersecurity, resiliency, and impacts from extreme weather conditions. Frank discusses how SAE's solid footing in both air and ground industries creates a unique opportunity to identify how all the markets can work together, scale together, scaling is important, and also complement each other, which is also very important. Frank's working to ensure the SAE brand is always at the front and enabling the world to move forward. Let's jump back into the conversation. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a really fascinating look behind the scenes of an incredible organization that's doing good for society. Welcome back to the podcast, Frank. Thank you, Grayson. It's great to be here. I want to go back to your patchwork quilt line. I love it. And keeping my finance hat on, today you have your electric vehicle and you go here to charge. Well, I don't have that app. I go here. Well, I have that app and, and there's no consistency. Well, will we get to a point where no matter what charging company you go to and you're in Frank's EV, you can charge everywhere you go with a standardized payment system? Is that something that's going to come? Yeah, it's really interesting, Grayson. We're putting together a board, strategic advisory group for this Office of Sustainable Energy. And they are the companies that you would imagine, very forward-thinking, very forward-leaning companies. We're making great pains to include companies and entities from Europe and China. And maybe a little bit of a surprise to me how much of an issue the whole payment question is. Like the charging companies that are out there, this is a pain point for them. You want to make the move to electrification seamless. You want to make it easier. You want to make it as easy and customary at a baseline as it is to go and, and gas up your car. And I was, I still drive an internal combustion engine car. I, I was out last night getting gas. I take it for granted that I, I don't have to download a different app every time I go to a different kind of gas station. We got to do the same thing for, for the charging world. You know, it's really, I think, exciting to think about this whole decentralized charging and wireless charging, which SA is, has a standard for. It's really exciting to think about being able to support a kind of charging in, in point of need. We have to find a way to make the payment seamless. And it seems like it should be. It seems like our expectations are that's been taken care of. Interestingly, it hasn't. So that's something out there to be solved for sure. Yeah, cause can you imagine if you go to gas station B, gas station C, and you have to go through this process? This isn't fun. And I want, and no matter what today, you go to A, B, or C, the gas pump is a standard, which was an SAE. And that think about all the value that created in society. And so the same thing's going to happen in payments, which is going to be brilliant. And it goes back again, building on the SAE heritage. You're doing good by society. You're constantly innovating. And when I speak to individuals about electric vehicles, they're like, uh-oh, there's some bad actor, somebody over there on a computer, they can take control of my car. I said, no, not true. They can take control. Yeah, well, I plug it in. See, now it's connected to the internet. See, I'm sharp. I read about that on a blog. When do we, are, will you tackle the cybersecurity issue to say, build the public trust or build standards around that? So when Mr. or Mrs. Jane or, or John Doe go to purchase electric vehicle and they plug in their house, they don't have to worry about a bad actor taking over their house and locking him in there, something out of a Hollywood movie? 
So, so we already have um, active programs in cybersecurity. Our professional development business unit does training and certification with an international partner by the name of Tufsud in automotive cybersecurity. And those courses are given in China, they're given in the Netherlands, they're given in Germany, they're given in Montana. So we're already doing that, and, and that is an even more acute need as we move to electric. It's all part of the evolution of the vehicle from a mechanical object to a communications object. Some people call that the, the connected car or car is part of Internet of Things. So absolutely cybersecurity is part of the picture. But I also want to maybe broaden the conversation to talk about resiliency. So cybersecurity is one form of resiliency. I think as we think about this critical relationship between the vehicle and the grid, we have to consider the question of resiliency in the context of extreme weather, which is becoming more of more, more common, more of an issue. And so we have not only the considerations of the vehicle to the grid and all of all that that encompasses but how do we ensure or build for resiliency in the grid when we know that the world is going to flood more often when we know that the world is going to have more more power shortages when we know that we are going to have more extreme weather and droughts and so forth a couple of weeks ago i was fortunate enough to attend our commercial vehicle conference Commercial vehicle, the world of trucks and off-road, they are thinking this through in really interesting ways. We got to see a manufacturer talk about remote resiliency farming techniques that are part of their vehicle development program. When people think about electrification, they tend to think about the passenger vehicle, and they tend to think about the luxury brands that are out there. And, and all of that is, is true and legitimate. There has been tremendous amount of work going on, really good work in the area of the commercial vehicle where they're thinking about these electrification and cybersecurity in the context of resiliency. Because if you're producing a tractor, you have to think about how that mechanical object or how that vehicle is going to interact with extreme weather. And I just think it's an interesting opportunity for SAE because we have a foot in the aerospace industry, we have a foot in the ground vehicle industry, we have a foot in the commercial vehicle industry. And we're increasingly thinking about our work, not necessarily within those sector divisions, but within the, but in the context of these cross-cutting technologies. How can we think, what's the through line in resiliency that goes from aerospace to ground vehicle to commercial vehicle. That's what interests us a lot. That's where we're really looking to leverage the experience that we have. You're learning a lot. The, the passenger side, the house is interacting with the commercial side, and they're all interacting with the aerospace side. And so you're sitting there in this incredible intelligence gathering where you're learning in little bits of pieces that then well this worked here and we can apply that here it's a really great learning environment for the listeners who are listening i highly recommend you attend sae's convec it's an incredible conference with really great technical content great strategy content and just overall really good networking so highly recommend that you attend convec frank putting the office of energy sustainable energy together what are you overall trying to achieve it's clear to me you're trying to achieve doing good by society. You're clearly embracing the future, but is there an end goal or a product or a standard that you're going to say, I'm proud we achieved that? 
Yeah, so, so so we're starting where their center of gravity, and that is in the ground vehicle side, in the battery electric vehicle side. And we're starting where our customers really pointed us to, which is battery to infrastructure technology. So we're bringing a group of thought leaders together to help us think through. Really one basic question, if you could mobilize SAE's resources to solve two or three problems, what would they be? And so we will start by addressing those problems. And we want to be very action-oriented. I said earlier, we're not really a research organization. We're a hands-on organization. And so I think the way we want to approach this, let's just say it is bi-directional battery use. It is the use of the battery to power the microgrid when it is not charging the car. There's going to be several OEMs that are coming forward with that are making this promise in probably about six to 12 months. So if that's where we want to start, then we probably need a set of standards around what is the expected amount of time that a particular battery is going to, to power the grid or power a microgrid. What happens if something goes wrong with a particular battery? What if the battery catches on fire while it's charging the grid? Who's responsible for that? These are things that we have to help industry think through. So it's not just a technical question, it becomes potentially a legal question. And these are all things that, that I think our strategic group and the subsequent working groups really want to, to dig into. So to answer your question, we, we have very practical things that we want to accomplish. That said, we are not stopping at the passenger car, the ground vehicle. We have groups that are already working in EV tolls. And as I mentioned before, we have groups that are working in this commercial vehicle sector. So I, I think it's a multi-phase, multi-tiered set of initiatives that go back to that SAE hands-on, okay, let's identify the problem, let's create a way of working through it that will benefit the maximum number of engineers worldwide by using a standard, using a best practice. And it may also be helping to inform and create policy. That's the other piece of this, is that there needs to be involvement from government. And SE has a, a long history of, of doing that work. Many of our standards are cited in regulations. And so we feel like in order to help scale in, in these areas, we really need to be working in the area of policy. And it's been interesting because that aspect of things has been, you know, really pretty welcomed by government. So it's really, it's multi-tiered, multi-phase, but always with that kind of hands-on, let's solve a problem, let's promulgate way of doing things that everyone can adopt. Without standards, there is no policy. And without the policy, none of this, it's all going to fall apart. You can build the greatest widget, but if it's not standardized and there's not really great policy, it's going to live in a garage. And do you feel that, and you, I read the text and some of the bills in DC and the, the statements by lawmakers and the stuff that their staff files, essays mentioned in a lot of this, do you, do you believe that's because of the organization's history of neutrality, why policymakers trust SAE? I think so. I, th I think it's because of the fact that we represent, we, we allow engineers who actually do the work to give voice to a standard way of doing things. And that's really what our standards are about. They're allowing those individuals to come together and to give voice to their collective 
way of approaching their work. I use this phrase a lot, it builds a center of gravity. Like it, it has the weight of people who are actually doing the work. It's not a thought, it's, it's not a thought object. It's not a think piece. It's a real way of getting something. And so that's why we end up connecting to, to policy and to regulation. And then there are just dozens and dozens of things that, that we just have to help each other think through in order to like this whole question of sustainable sourcing for, for batteries. And it's that convening activity that SAE does that's so much a part of our heritage that I think enables that and supports it. And you, you recently went and did a listening tour. You met with customers and you tried to find trends in the market. What did you learn during that tour? Was there anything where you said, aha, we're, we're onto something here or, or uncovered something really interesting? There was a remarkable commonality to what we heard. We talked to thought leaders, obviously in original equipment manufacturers, the, the big car companies. We talked to suppliers. We talked to people from energy companies. We talked to people in government. We talked to people in aerospace. And it was all remarkably consistent. There is this sense that if the battery is going to be the primary form of propulsion or, or energy source for propulsion that is going to replace the internal combustion engine, then we have done a decent job of enabling the engineering of, of the battery in the vehicle, but there's this whole connection to infrastructure that has to be worked out. And that goes back to bi-directional battery use. It goes back to battery recycling. It goes back to battery sourcing. It's really, it was remarkably consistent. And uh, as one person put it, you know, to me, there needs to be, SA needs to be the adult in the room, <laughs> which I found kind of a, an interesting comment. And what they mean by that is we're a neutral organization. We don't take sides. We don't promulgate any one technology over another. What we are all about is enabling engineers to articulate a common path towards safety and scale. And so that's really what they're asking us to do with this Office of Energy. And you uncovered infrastructure as, as a trend, and I fully agree with you. That's going to be a mega trend because everything's going to have to be rebuilt for automation and electrification. What other mega trends do you see evolving over the next 10 to 15 years in the global mobility market? Yes. So there is there is the battery. And we were also told, don't just focus on that because there is there, there are the, these bigger questions about long haul trips, such as long haul trucking and aerospace or yeah, aerospace travel that goes beyond EV tolls. And that embraces things like hydrogen. And think broadly about the future of transportation over the next 10 to 15 years. You've got to think about batteries. You've got to think about hydrogen. You've got to think about e-fuels and synthetic fuels. And then to, your, to the earlier point that we were chatting about, think about design and think about new kinds of vehicles that can be designed that aren't necessarily tied to this internal combustion engine design. So in the next couple of decades, I think you have to think broadly and holistically about your power sources, the design of vehicles, and then the use of vehicles. And this goes hand in hand with automation. We, we see this trend, particularly among millennials, 
where there's less likelihood or, or maybe decreasing likelihood that they will go out and get driver's licenses. They're, they're maybe much more habituated to ride sharing and ride hailing. And so there is this other trend to think about, and that is fleet development. And it goes hand in hand with this question of scale, hand in hand with this question of electrification. If the industry can move to uh, a greater presence of the use of fleets, then you know you start to think about the advantages that can have in terms of scaling electrification and automation. So those are some of the trends that, that we heard about while we were talking to people like think broadly. Yes, there are a whole series of patchwork quilts out there that we're looking for SAE to help us knit into a landscape piece, but don't stop there. You gotta think about these larger questions of long haul travel and the shift of particularly the passenger vehicle to potentially more use in fleets and ride hailing. And, and, and you also have to understand culture. Where is culture going? And that's what makes you, you're not an engineer, you're an artist and a musician. I love artists and musicians. You look at the world differently. You look at everything as a wonderful creative opportunity of how can I paint a beautiful painting? How can I record a wonderful track? And he passed away way too young with Ronnie Van Zant from Leonard Skinner. And, and he, he had a fascination with Alabama. And he sang, sweet home Alabama, where the skies are so blue. Sweet home Alabama, Lord, I'm coming home to you. He painted a picture of the South and that became and Anthem, you've got this incredible artistic background. You've painted this great picture of SAE, putting your core skills as a storyteller. How are you gonna paint the picture of SAE for the future? So, so you, you make a really interesting point. So transportation has always been uh, an essential part of popular music. So three words, Little Red Corvette. <laughs> I can stop there and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have a mental image of that vehicle and all of the innuendos that are going on with that vehicle. It's not a maybe not an accident that the Beatles started the White Album with the sound of a plane landing at the beginning of back in the USSR. You have Steve Miller Band, big old jet airliner. It's music has knitted in transportation to every aspect of it be, because transportation is culture. It is culture making and, and culture building. And so when I think about the image that music creates, it's the same image of transportation that, that we talked about from the very beginning. It's transportation at an inflection point in the 21st century where you have the ability to move people in completely new ways and to enable access to that movement um, to give people measurably better lives. And so I, I, that's how I think about that question. And I think the same thing is happening with technology. I don't know what, what the song will be in 30 years. Little Red Electric Corvette doesn't quite sound the same, doesn't have the same kind of swagger, but I'm sure something will, somebody will come up with something really good. Yeah, you never know. We'll have autonomous trains and the Grateful Dead saying the Casey Jones. Perhaps somebody's going to sing about the autonomous train. And then we're on music. So Don McLean, American Pie, put the Chevy to the... And then you, you never know. Put the electric car and away we went. It's going to be fun as, as, as this technology gets in, incorporated into culture. And I, I have this long-running theory. And I said, you know when autonomy and autonomous vehicles has arrived? When a hip-hop artist features an autonomous vehicle in one of their videos. <laughs> 
Yeah. Now you know we've reached peak culture. It's found its way in. Yeah. And so, so I'm super excited about that as a music fan. I'm waiting for the next generation's Chuck Berry to come along and just wipe the slate clean and say, okay, here it is, guys. Here's Here's a new way of thinking about life and thinking about moving around and, and all of the pictures that get created around that in sound. So I, now we're on this. I have to know, has SAE ever been mentioned in a musical song that you're aware of? Ah, that's a good question. I don't think so, but probably we're mentioned by association, right? We're mentioned, we had a lot to do with that little red Corvette. We had a lot to do with that big old Jetter line. There's that Tom Waits song, Old 55, where he's, he's, he's talking about uh, the trucks flashing him. So I kind of feel like the spirit of SA kind of hovers over, over songs like that. I don't know. Probably not too many of our constituents think about Tom Waits and SA in the same breath, but I do. So. <laughs> And that's what makes you special. <laughs> what is the future of the SAE brand? Typically, SAE has presented itself to the world very much within the, the, the sectors that we serve, very much within we're promoting a discrete set of products. But about a year ago, we decided that we also needed to broaden the way we're presenting ourselves to the world. So. We started a brand campaign that we're actually just beginning to, to launch. And it's, it goes back to my original opening comments. Um, what is the impact that SAE is, has on the everyday lives of people? You may not know us, but you've interacted with us. If you've ever put that child restraint seat in, if you've ever plugged in an electric vehicle, if you ever had to depend on the safe functioning of an airplane, you've interacted with us. That's the story we want to tell in our branding. And so you'll be seeing over the next few months, uh, SA pop up in some unusual places like YouTube TV and Hulu and so forth, because we want to tell that story in a more holistic way. And we want to tell that story to a broader swath of people. And we, not only that, but we want to tell that story in human-sized dimensions, because in the end, that's what it's all about. If the technology doesn't serve the people, then you know I'm not sure what we're doing. But SA has always been about enabling technology to serve people. And so we really want to make sure that we're telling that story. So the future of the SA brand is to really talk holistically about what we do and in human terms. I'll use a phrase that my mom used to use to bring it down to where the goats can get it. We want to we want to take all of this stuff and kind of bring it down to where everyone can understand what we're about because we think that's an important part of, of what we need to do. And that ties directly into the levels of automation. And it seems like that's been the greatest marketing campaign because SAE pops up on TechCrunch, you pop up on the Financial Times, and the, the brand is everywhere around the levels of automation. And there's a lot of debate around the levels of automation. And then as Argo and, and Cruise and Zooks commercialize their product and then paying passengers go in, we get to the point where there's a consumer version of the level. So my mom, your mom, they understand, okay, this is what this level means without the technical jargon. It's, you know, it's hard for me to predict if, let me put it this way, if the world needs there to be a consumer version of that, we'll make it happen. We have a program in China where we're working with the Chinese government to, to rank cars by levels of automation. So we have a little bit of that going on anyway. There's a major Japanese OEM that we are doing sales training for. They're coming out with their first electric vehicle in about a year. 
and we got the job to train their salespeople. So that's an interesting question. How do you give salespeople the vernacular to, to talk about the electric vehicle? It's the same vernacular that we need to give people on levels of automation and levels of sustainability. So that's that would be the way that I would answer that question. If society needs us to do it, then it's our mission to do it. And then would it be further upon the organization's mission to educate the public about the levels and, and what they truly mean if that's what the direction the organization takes? Yeah, I think that, again, industry tells us public acceptance is huge, right? It, it's a big part. It's a big enabler. In automation, public acceptance really goes hand in hand with safety. People have to feel that the technology is safe and dependable. We, I think, did a wonderful thing a few years ago before the pandemic called Demo Days, where we brought people together to give them a ride in an automated vehicle to help them understand what the experience was like. And I, I think that there's probably something similar that we need to do with sustainability, electrification, and, and, and so forth. I think it, is, it almost goes hand in hand. You know, the, 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 one of the great maybe challenges associated with electrification is range anxiety. I like the idea of an electric vehicle, but boy, do I worry about you know, not being able to get a charge and so forth. And that is going to be a big thing that, that I know it's what the OEMs are all focused on. Like, how do we overcome that? I think SAE definitely has a role in helping to educate the public in how the technology can enable a safe, sustainable charge. Taking that to the air, since SAE has a lot of work in aviation, how about electric propulsion for EV tolls or aircraft? Well, Range anxiety is going to be a huge issue. Somebody gets on a plane, oh my God, this thing's battery. Does it going to have enough range to get there? Because you know, so-and-so ran out of a charge in their car. And if the plane runs out of a charge, uh-oh, there'd be some sort of standard around that. Yeah, for sure. And it's something that's going on in our technical committees today. We have multiple technical committees that are dealing with the uh, the EV tall, the electric vehicle aircraft. And so sustainability of charge. And then it was very interesting. I, I, I got an opportunity to be part of a group that was a brainstorming group that was sponsored by NASA with a major consulting firm. And I was in a team with someone from the city of Los Angeles, someone from the Federal Aviation Administration, and a couple of other people. And our task was to, to create a, a scenario where we had a damaged aircraft, damaged EV toll. Who needs to be informed? Who's accountable? Who is, who's in charge? And it was one of those things where in the first five minutes we said, oh, wow, this is like way more complicated than we thought because there needs to be all of this, again, this infrastructure in place in order to deal with things when things don't go well, when things go wrong. And so standards play a huge role in that. We were there modeling and, and doing uh, this, uh, this role playing, but it was very illustrative. It was very interesting. You learned a lot. We did. We did. We learned how much we didn't know. We all kind of looked at each other and went, oh, wow, we got a ways to go here. We got to get a whole lot smarter about how well this is going to work. You know, because the, the city of Los Angeles is saying, well, who has jurisdiction over this? Well, it's Los Angeles airspace. Does that mean us? Or is it the FAA? Okay, that's a great, you know, who, who takes charge? Very interesting, eye-opening session. And it's complex problems like that that the standards committees are tackling every single day, coming together to solve big challenges in society. And Frank, 
we've covered a lot of ground. You've told a wonderful story and you humanized SAE. What would you like the listeners to take away with them as we look to wrap up this conversation? I, I go back to, to what I said earlier. I think we are at an inflection point. We're at a moment where we have the convergence of technology able to move large groups of people safely, sustainably for the environment. As a scientific organization, I feel like we're doing this work at a time when we're facing arguably one of the biggest scientific challenges that we've ever faced, which is the effects of global warming. And so if we can address the sustainability question, utilizing the technologies that we've helped to develop and create practices and standards that support sustainable, safe, and equally accessible transportation, that is a really important thing. And so, you know, I would want anybody listening to this to think about SAE in the middle of all of that and working with our associated scientific and technical societies to help to solve those problems. Because, because if we don't, we will be leaving behind a world that, that is measurably less sustainable and less livable. And we can't do that. To me, that's not an acceptable alternative. So I think we have to do those things. And I'd, I'd like people f- for people to think about SAE as doing its very best to energize and mobilize those solutions. SAE is the glue that holds it all together. SAE is doing good by society. SAE is, is saving lives. And SAE is doing good with industry. And Frank, thank you so much for taking this time to, to share the SAE story today. It's a powerful story, and it's one that a lot of organizations should look up to and admire because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and the future is sustainable standards. Frank, thanks so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Thank you, Grayson. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week when we speak with the co-founders of the startup Jump Arrow as they discuss how their eVTOL cuts response time in half by flying first responders to the scene of an emergency. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.